What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. Asian bitches down under the podcast about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diasporas in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show via Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you have enjoyed our episodes, please support us by giving us a five-star rating and get your friends on board to listen to us. Finally, we would love you to support this podcast by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee program. Your wonderful support and donations will help us to continue creating the platform for diversity and inclusivity. Make sure you check out the episode show notes for any collaborations we're working with to promote. Thanks again, and we hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hello, this is Helen from Asian Speeches Down Under. So this episode has previously recorded last Friday. For some reasons, my part of audio went missing. I'm sure it's on my own human error, but nevertheless, it's ghost months, and I wonder really what happened. Perhaps I accidentally bumped into a taboo, and the karma got me. I mean, we have not intended to re-record this episode. But I had some listeners DM us wanting to know if they are more interesting. Since about Taiwan's Ghost Month, so here I am recording a shorter episode for those who are fascinated by Ghost Month in Taiwan. But as usual, here are some of my personal cultural consumptions. Um, this week, I am yet to finish the Japanese novel Bullet Train and also the translated English version of Ghost Town by Kevin Chan. So I guess I'll talk about those two books in the later dates. Anyway, first up,、um, Minions: The Rise of Gru.、Uh, we went to see this film at the cinema about two weekends ago with my daughter. If you have kids or are obsessed with Minions, you will know that this animation is franchised by Universal Pictures, which started about I'll say ten, twelve years ago with the first film, Despicable Me, which is an animation about. Which is an animation about supervillain Gru, voiced by Steve Carell, and then comes the subsequent animation films of Despicable Me Two, The Minions, and then Despicable Me Three. The latest animation film, The Rise of Gru, follows the character Gru's childhood when he was around ten years old. His inspirations of becoming a supervillain and his journey as a child working against the expectations of the adult supervillains.、Um, of course, my daughter thoroughly enjoyed the film. Needless to say, that because of comedy effects by the minions, I'm guessing most of parents will enjoy the humors and the aesthetics of the animation because it is set in the 70s.、Um, you know, sort of like hippie, free spirit. You have the flower kind of vivid atmosphere. Yep. Okay, so the next one,、um, the next film that we watched, not with my daughter, of course,、uh, is called Cat Fight.、Uh, it is a 2016 American black comedy film directed and written by Ona Tuko, and starring Sandra Oh, Anne Hirsch, and Alicia Silverstone. The synopsis of the film is about artists Ashley Miller and the housewife Veronica Salt, who are two very unhappy women. Living in、uh, presumably it was set in New York, I think.、Um, so Ashley, played by Anne Hirsch,、uh, is struggling to sell her artwork.、Um, she was going through the straining of her relationship with her girlfriend Lisa, played by Alicia Silverstone, and Veronica,、uh, which is played by Sandra Oh, who is an alcoholic, treated this time by her husband. 
Stanley and Mox, her son's drawing talent. Somehow they encountered one another at a party years after the relationship has fallen apart during their college.、Um, the story doesn't specifically indicate how their friendship has fallen apart, but there was a bit of a subtle indication that the reason、um, two women value their lives differently. The artist actually creates paintings that are deemed extremely pessimistic at the beginning of the film. It was not selling at, the, at all. And then Veronica seems to have been married for wealth and had a child who was almost eighteen, but struggles to share his love of art with his mother. It is rather an unconventional film because it depicts the reality of life, but at the same time, the director boldly presented the conflict of this, these two women through extremely dreadful physical fighting scenes. It is almost like you're watching a WWF or something. You know, it is staged. But the physical violence between the two women was just so real. I had to look away for a moment, but you know, you still listen to, you can still hear the sounds of the punches and the kicks and moaning and yeah, grinding. Yeah, it wasn't pleasant at all. What was a little bit creepy when we were watching this film about two weeks ago was that my husband looked up Anne Hirsch on IMDb, and then within ten minutes he received one of those news alerts saying、um, that she had. Been involved in a car accident.、Um, as we know, that Sally Hirsch has passed away this week.、Um, I don't think I've seen any of her other works, but both Anne Hirsch and Sandra Oh's acting skills are phenomenal in Catfight. Even though the plot can be perceived as a little bit irrational for some people, and of course the physical fight can be a little bit overwhelming for me. But I said it is a great film that presents the idea of how could one have it all and then lose it all through the impulsions of hate.、Um, another interesting aspect of the film, which is something that I believe the director wanted to convey or maybe emphasize, was that throughout the film,、um, at the background, the television plays a comedy show talking about the war on terror. And there were snippets of news reporting about the tensions between the U.S. and the Middle East. I'm guessing that the director wanted to juxtapose, juxtapose the conflict between these two women and the war in the Middle East. I don't know the actual intention of the director, but perhaps、um, when the film was first made,、uh, June like 2015, um, the director utilized this sort of storytelling method. As a satirical statement on the war on terror. Okay, finally,、um, I want to share something that I've watched on Netflix lately.、Um, it's a K drama called Extraordinary Attorney Wu. It is an interesting drama that goes in conjunction with of what I've recently finished reading.、Um, Hannah Gatsby's Ten Steps to Nadette. So it's about people living with autism.、Um, in the previous episode, I accidentally went on. Um, talking about more of the white mother's surprised attitude that she thought autism was only the condition for white children, and actually had to miss the chance to talk about this drama. So here it is.、Um, it is an exceptional, heartwarming K drama.、Um, you see the situations from the perspectives of people living with autism, their struggles in everyday life, and sometimes the lack of understandings by the others. Contrary to the usual treatment of what we see the society had towards people with autism, the drama depicts of a more mature attitude towards the central character Wu Yongwu. The script do not、um, juvenilize the character, 
and create a great conversational flow for the audiences to understand the character and also the tenderness by the people surrounding her. The drama has an absolutely brilliant visual effects, um, especially about the whales, which is the obsession of uh, Wu Yong Wu. And on the other hand, it makes me wonder that if this drama is trying to embellish the treatment of people living with autism, you know, um, of course, we all know that the spectrum is varied uh, in range and the treatment it is, um, and also because uh, uh, what we've seen uh, in the previous shows like uh, Love on Spectrum, I do wonder that it are we really concerned about people living with autism uh, or are media industries using it as as an aspect of an entertainment? Um, when we were growing up in Taiwan, we've had very little understandings of neurodiversity people and people with disability were treated badly. Oftentimes, they were pretty much housebound. Uh, I wonder if this drama is reflecting on the changes um, obviously, it would be great that it is trying to set up as an example to galvanize the attitude of the general populations about people living with autism and smash the stigma. Apparently, that this K-drama has been on the top 10 in Australia for a few weeks. So, Extraordinary Attorney Wu, I recommend this drama if you haven't seen it. Okay, so let's take a break. When we come back... We will continue through some rituals and culture activities of Ghost Month in Taiwan. We often talk about wanting to read a wider variety of books and stories and watch diverse art productions, theatres or films. But where do we get them? How do we get them? Most mainstream media platforms and bookstores are flooded with products that are created by and for the white majority of Australia. As an Asian growing up in Australia, the only source for me to access anything that remotely resonated with my life was Chatswood Library, where they stock some Asian writers' works. Yeah, shout out to Chatswood Library. <laughs> However, most of these books are in Asian languages, which benefited the first generation of immigrants who could still read Chinese or the Asian languages and were learning on English. What about for second or subsequent generations of immigrants, like Helen? Well, not like Helen. Helen can read English, <laughs> Chinese, but like me. Or even the First Nations people who want to read stories about them in English. Reading across broader cultural perspectives represents diversity as a natural phenomenon. Normalizing racially representative stories shares knowledge that breaks down the mentality of an us-slash-them binary and exposes the norms of the dominant culture as a constructive rather than universal nature. The publishing industry of the West has long been dominated by white men who, and you know, just look at the books that we are prescribed in the school syllabus. We were told to read books written by white men and were instilled with the idea that white men's opinions are important and righteous. Mm. The 2019 Diversity Baseline Survey estimates that the industry in, the, in Australia is 76% overall white and 82% white in editorial departments. And with author Roxane Gay's 2011 examination of book reviews in the New York Times, a traditional platform found 88% of the review books to be white authored. 
How does this impact our world as women of colour in the West? Mm, it means that women of colour go through more roadblocks when entering publishing, when we want to share our stories. And the dynamic power dynamic of the industry exhibits the idea that minority voices do not matter, or minority voices like value in the publishing industry, which obviously we believe and we know, in fact, is not true. So we have Amplified Bookstore, which is an initiative by Amazing Marina and Shane, who took upon themselves and are dedicated to promote books by Black, Indigenous, and people of colour writers. Every month, the team at Amplified Bookstore curates a list of brilliant books that will expand readers' horizons and offer opportunities to deepen your insights of alternative perspectives. When we say representation matters, it does not stop at the point where a BIPOC writer starts to share their story on paper. The representation needs to expand to all areas of publishing, including editors, marketing, sales, and so on. Amplified Bookstore is here to advocate the importance of the retail store that is giving the voice and the platform that ensues that these writers are being seen rather than being placed at the bottom of the shelf by the major bookstores. What Amplified Bookstore is doing is to encourage and create a space for non-white authors to write as themselves. Publishers, book buyers and readers need to be more inclusive. Insider authors are much more likely to feature well-rounded protagonists from their same culture. This allows representative stories that enable white people to read about POC without disregarding them as other. Mm, precisely. And, excitingly, thanks to Amplify Bookstore, this month they're giving away an Oceana box to our listeners. The box will contain three books chosen by Marina and Swan. So the books will be BIPOC writers of Australia and New Zealand. To enter, please follow our Instagram page, like the giveaway post and share the post or tag your friends. The winner will be drawn on the 2nd of September. That's right, guys. So you still have a few weeks to get your entries in. So follow them, like them, stay tuned for further updates. It's a very, very exciting three set of books. I, for myself, cannot wait to get my hands onto them. Get on board, guys, and um, hop onto Instagram and get your to uh, get your entries in to uh, win this amazing collection of books. Good luck, everyone. Good luck. Welcome back, this is Helen and you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under. So with requests by some of the listeners, I've looked up some more interesting events that happened in Taiwan during the Ghost Month. In our previous episode, we mentioned that Ghost Months happen uh, in the seventh month of lunar calendar. So according to the Western um, calendar, which is what most countries follow now, it is usually set from the late July to late August. This year, the 15th day of Ghost Month is on the 12th of August, which is the central and major day of Ghost Month. It is called Zhongyuanjie, um, which is the day that we did our recording and resulted in audio file gone missing. And this is like the third time I'm recording this episode now. I'm not saying that it is something strange, but I do hope that we haven't offended any spirit or ghost while talking about the cultural aspects of Ghost Month. So in our previous episode, we talked about what things that you shouldn't do or are recommended not to do during the ghost month. And now we are on the activities and the events that happen in some part of Taiwan during ghost month. Firstly, as we mentioned before, some families and businesses will do pu du ceremony, 
which means having food items out on the table in front of your house to worship and offer the food to the spirits. It is a ceremony that you offer the food to the wandering ghost. Burning incense are set on individual food items, and only once that the incense has finished burning, the humans can consume the food. It gets quite technical when it comes to what sort of food is suitable to offer. It really depends on what kind of gods or spirits that you're worshiping.、Um, I have a couple down、uh, on my list here. For the god of land, governor, you have fresh flowers, tea, five fruits, and six types of meats. For your ancestors,、uh, you have three animal sacrifices. It's what we call in Taiwan shan shen. So it's three types of meats depending on the. Regions.、Um, some families will have pork, lamb, and beef, and some families will have chicken, pork, and fish.、Um, I do remember. I think our mother tends to have the chicken, pork, and fish combination. And then you have four fruits and the usual meals、um, from your home. You know, usually what you cook for dinner. And then the pudu, which is the offering for the ghosts to help them to reincarnate smoothly. Um, you have fresh flowers,、uh, three types of meat, four fruits, and snacks. What I have here on my notes is junk food. You know, Titi Lu Jia Chocolate is、uh, nougat chocolate that is very popular in Taiwan, and rice crackers. You have tea, alcohol,、um, maybe non-alcoholic beverages, rice, and also instant noodles. And then, lastly, for the gods of the land foundation, which is the god that protects your house, you have fruits. Uh, tea or alcohol and some daily meals from your home. There are certain fruits that you should not use to、um, for the pudu offering.、Um, they are guava, tomato, durian, pineapple, banana, star fruit, and custard apple. I don't know the reason behind most of their fruits, but I do know that durian, because of its spikiness, is not appropriate to use it as a.、Um, Fruit for offering, and pineapple has always been used as an offering fruit during New Year or more celebratory joyfulness、um, ceremonies. So it's not、uh, suitable to use during Ghost Month. And whereas custard apple, because of its appearance, is very similar to the appearance of the Buddha's statue's head,、um, you know, little bumps. So、um, again, it's not. Wise to use、um, custard apple for offering to the ghosts. Okay, so from apart from pudu ceremonies held by family businesses and temples, here are three major events that have had a long history and are popular amongst people in Taiwan. Firstly, there is Changgu. This is a type of Minnan folk activity,、um, which is done after pudu offering. Uh, the offering food would lay out in a place for the public to fight over them. One interpretation is that we, as living beings, put out a theatrical show for the ancestors and the ghosts to entertain、um, by acting as hungry ghosts and fighting over food. Another interpretation is to create a scene of food snatching to scare away the wandering ghosts. The modern interpretation of the event is that the local government offers food assistance to those who are in need. Some councils are now actually upgrading the activities, very similar to treasure hunting. People will look for small packets of biscuits with labels of food、um, on it.、Uh, they can redeem 
at the end of the activity, for example, there will be labels of like bag of rice, canned food, instant noodle, crackers, uh, junk foods, chocolate, etc. And the actual Changgu activity is with a bamboo scaffold that is above 10 meters with all the poles rubbed with oil. A team of eight is required to work together to climb onto the top of the pole and grab the flag. In the past, the winning team could receive the most offering food, and nowadays the local council offers prize money to encourage this cultural activity. And of course, the one pole is specifically left empty for the team of a ghost to participate. Fascinating, eh? And next, there's the water lantern. During the ghost months, some areas with rivers or lakes will arrange activity called fang shui deng, which means to dispose the water lanterns. Paper lanterns with candles are lit and placed by the shores of rivers and lakes. The lights are to welcome the wandering ghosts, uh, light up their paths, and help the ghosts to walk into their reincarnation. It is said that if your lantern floats further away uh, before the candle goes out, it means that you'll be better protected by the spirits. And finally, there is an event called Patrol of Zhongkui, which is also called Zhongkui Dance. Zhongkui is a mythical legend who could protect properties and fend away evils. Zhongkui is also known as the king of ghosts, or the vanquishers of ghosts and evil beings. Temples hire people who specialize in theology of Taoism or Buddhism to perform the Zhongkui dance at the end of ghost month, which is to signal the warnings to the wandering ghosts that it is time for them to, to return to their world. This performance is actually for the dead people, so you should avoid it when you hear the noise of the performance. But if you really want to watch the performance, you must wear uh, like a, um, what do they call them? Like a temple validated uh, amulet to protect yourself, which is to avoid the negative energy and bad luck. Apparently in legend, uh, Zhongkui was a scholar who took part in the statewide imperial examination held in the capital city. So Zhongkui um, achieved a great academic success through his achievement of top honors in the major exams. His rightful title of Zhuangyuan, which is a top scorer, was stripped away from him by the emperor because of his disfigured and ugly appearance. Yeah, talk about discrimination of your appearance. Um, in anger and fury, Zhongkui committed suicide by continually hurling himself against palace gates until his head was broken. Whereupon the people from his village had him buried and laid to rest. During the divine judgment after his death from suicide, Yan Luo Wang, the Chinese underworld judge, saw much potential in Zhongkui's intelligence and he was smart enough to score the top honors in the imperial examination, so they gave him a title as a king of ghosts and tasked him out to hunt, capture, take charge, and maintain the discipline and order amongst the ghosts. So Zhongkui is almost like a sheriff of the underworld. I often wonder that if we can popularize the character of Zhongkui or any other uh, mythical legendary characters uh, in Chinese or Taiwanese, um, history, um, you know, because other 
other char- mythical characters who are not from the West. I do ask like, why has the world fallen for the vampire slayers? But no one really talks about, or not much people talk about mythical characters from the other cultures. So, listeners, if you know a mythical character or a legendary character in your culture, feel free to share them with us. So that's the end of our episode. It's a rather short episode because you know I stuffed up, but I still want to make it up for it.、Um, remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and give us a five star rating. If you would like to support what we do here at Asian Bitches Down Under, head to Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to inter. To continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry, so stay safe, everyone. We'll chat to you next time. Bye.